0: I hope you picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes. We've been away from our uh, study on excelling in our love for one another a couple of weeks. We had the Easter presentation, and then I was out last week. Really appreciated Jonathan filling in uh, for me, and I know he did an excellent job, and you appreciated uh, his ministry uh, last Sunday. Uh, But we're back to this study where we're simply walking through the New Testament, And uh, the various one another passages that teach us how to love one another in the body of Christ. And we're trying to look at these uh, one another verses in the context in which they found. So we're just just in order going through the New Testament books and uh, noting uh, these various verses. And today we come to the one another passage or one of the one another passages in the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, you'll notice there in your notes, verses 12 and 13 will be our focus. And this is lesson 8 on forgiving one another. This is a message, a teaching on forgiveness. So uh, look there uh, in your notes uh, at our passage. So, as to those who have been uh, chosen of God, of course referring to uh, believers who have come to know the redemptive grace and love of Jesus... Uh, holy and beloved, put on, here's God's command to His children, to His followers, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And let me just pause right there. If you've been with us throughout this entire study, it is fascinating to see how often those five qualities have come up in this study. This is not the first time. And uh, they're often repeated in the Scripture that these are some of the key marks uh, of a believer. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then, here's our focal uh, verse, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. In other words, in relationship to one another. I think we would all acknowledge, we would all uh, admit that nothing demonstrates God's love as much as His forgiveness. Uh, Therefore, here's reality. Uh, A Christian who is not uh, willing to relinquish a resentful attitude and forgive a person who wronged him is lacking in godlike character. No matter how orthodox their theology may be or no matter how impeccable their morals uh, may be. As followers of Christ, we are called to display God's love to a lost world by forgiving others as Christ has forgiven us. Now, before we go any further in this lesson because I want this lesson to be very very practical. I want you to be able to apply it. I want every person in this sanctuary, every single person, to identify one person who has wronged and hurt you. It may be the person who hurt you the deepest in your life. It may be uh, the person who wronged you most recently But I want you to identify not two, not three, just one person. Just one person who has wronged you, who has hurt you, that you may be struggling with. It may be an individual that uh, you believe you have forgiven in the past, but this would be an opportunity for you to evaluate that. So have you identified that person, that one person who wronged you, that hurt you, in the past, and this is what I want you to do. I want right now you to write their name in that blank there in your sermon notes. Where you see where it says, Lord, teach me and empower me to forgive, and then put that person's name right there, whoever it might be, Peter, Jane, Judy, Mary, Lord, and then and then as you write their name there, would you just very briefly voice that prayer as you put their name there, Lord, Will you teach me and empower me to forgive, name the person, as Christ has forgiven me? So, did you write that person down? I trust you did, because I want, again, this message to be very meaningful, to be very, very uh, practical to you. So, with that person in mind, we are going to answer the question, okay, What would it mean in very practical biblical terms, and there's the key, in biblical terms for you to forgive the person you just identified? In other words, if you truly forgive that person, what what are you actually uh, committing to biblically? What, What would that mean? What would it look like? And let me share four truths. And look at the first one there in your sermon notes. Forgiveness, and this is where it all begins with this commitment, forgiveness is to put off all thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors toward others not consistent with my identity in Christ, and replace them with thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors consistent with my identity in Christ. In other words, to think about and treat other people as Christ thinks about and treats me. And again, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, circle the next two words, put on, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now listen, the whole context of Colossians 3 is about putting things, certain things off, And putting other certain things on. Uh, It's all about what is in and out of fashion for Christians to wear. But of course it's not talking about the clothes we wear. But what? The attitudes and the behaviors we wear. Uh, What's being admonished of us in this passage is that we are to put off the grave clothes... Of our past lives in sin. And we are to put on the clean garments of our new lives in Christ. Through the person of the Holy Spirit who lives within the heart of every believer. We have the power to put off bitterness and to put on forgiveness. And what we need to understand is this. And listen very, very carefully. This is so important. Putting off bitterness and putting on forgiveness never begins at an emotional level. In other words, if you're waiting to feel like forgiving the person who hurt you before you forgive them, you'll be waiting forever. And Forgiveness will never be extended. Forgiveness begins by bringing all your thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors toward the person who wronged you captive to Christ. Now, you say, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, first, this is where it begins. Do you really believe that God is sovereign? Do you really believe that God has given us the promise in Romans 8, 28, and 29 that He calls, not that He causes everything that happens, but He has the ability to what? Cause everything to work for our what? Good. Our spiritual good. And in the context, because we've been predestined to become conformed to the image of Jesus. In other words, in very simplistic terms, the promise... The ironclad guarantee that God gives to every believer is I love you so much. And we talked about that, sang about that reckless love this morning. that, That never lets us go, that will never fail us, that will never run out on us. He says, I love you so much, I've placed limitations on your life. And the limitation is this, I will never, ever Let any circumstance or person touch your life unless I know I can ultimately work it for your spiritual benefit in my greater glory. Unless I know I can use this person, as difficult as this person may be, to make you more like Christ. To learn to love as Christ loved. To learn to forgive as Christ forgave. So... That's where we begin. And now, if I, if I really believe that, then once a wrong is inflicted upon me, my first response, not emotionally, but out of obedience to God, to worship Him because He's worthy of my worship, worthy of my allegiance, whether I feel like it or not, I get on my knees and I say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to plunge deeper into the character of Christ. Giving me this opportunity to learn to love as Christ loved. To learn to forgive as Christ forgave. Thank you, you're you're trying to teach me what you taught Joseph back there in the book of Genesis. When he looked right into the eyes of his brothers who sold him into slavery... That took him into 13 long years of suffering, 13 lost years, many of most of those years imprisoned. And he looks at him and he says, What you did to me, you meant it for evil. You intended to hurt me. You intended to destroy me. But God meant it for good, to bring about this present result, and the amazing thing, we don't have time to preach that story, but when he says to bring about this present result, the present result was to save the very lives of the brothers and their families who had attempted to take him out, because they gave birth, what, to the nation of Israel that produced our Messiah. So, that's where you begin God, thank you for giving me the opportunity to learn to love and forgive like Christ. Then, you don't stop there. Then, as you continue on your knees before God, and whether you feel like it or not, it's not an emotional thing. It's a step of faith, an act of obedience, because He's worthy of your love, worthy of your worship. Then you ask God, okay, God... In relationship to this person, in relationship to this circumstance, are my thoughts, are my attitudes, are my behaviors towards the person who wronged me? Are they in harmony with Christ's character? And that's where you need to be very honest and very transparent with God. Okay, God, thank you for giving me this opportunity to learn to love as Christ loved. Now, God, search my heart. Try me. Test me. Examine me. Are my thoughts, or my attitudes, or my behaviors towards this person who wronged me, are are those thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors in harmony with the character of Christ? And because God loves you, He'll begin showing you where things are out of line, where there is bitterness, where there is resentment, where there is anger. So, That leads you to the next thing you have to do. Then, you must make a choice. And no one can make it for you. It's a choice that you have to make before God. And ultimately, it's a choice of whether you will worship Him or not. Whether you will love Him or not. Whether you will obey Him or not. But you make a choice to stop dwelling on all thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors that are displeasing to God, and then to replace the sinful thoughts with God's truth, the unloving attitudes with Christ's attitude, and all unloving behaviors with obedience to Christ. And you have the power to make that choice. God's created you. You cannot think on two things at the same time. Now, Satan has the ability to throw those fiery darts in, and you're going to be constantly uh, tempted in this area But it's like the old reformer Martin Luther said, I may not can stop the birds from flying over my head, but I can stop them from building a nest in my hair. So I do have a choice. Yes, when I'm wrong, when I'm hurt, uh, it's going to be difficult. And I'll be tempted with thoughts of resentment and bitterness and anger. But what I'm saying is I have to make a choice to nip that in the bud. I'm not going to allow myself to dwell on that. I'm not going to allow myself to run in that direction. The moment the temptation comes, those thoughts come, so those nasty attitudes or the, the behaviors where I want to strike back. No, I turn to God's truth. And I begin to focus on His Word. On the loveliness of Christ. And his forgiveness, and what he's called me, what he's called me to do, and then finally, I have to be committed to consistently, consistently practice this as an expression of worship. See, one of the big problems we have in this area of forgiveness, we think it's a sort of a one-and-done type thing. You know, somebody wronged me, hurts me. Oh, I forgive them. Forgive you know, I forgive you, and everything's okay. Oh no, I wish it was that easy but in the frailty of our humanity and sinful condition. I mean, we haven't arrived yet, right? Not until we see Jesus face to face. There's going to be that constant struggle with the flesh, that constant struggle with sin. I'm going to be constantly tempted not to walk in that forgiveness, not to practice that forgiveness. Uh, I remember reading, uh, I I, I tried to find the quote and I could not. It's such a powerful quote. It's C.S. Lewis. And he talked about the fact of someone who had deeply wronged him and, 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 and had hurt him. And he, and he talked about the fact that he literally had to practice exactly what we're talking about. Just as an act of faith, as an act of obedience for about two or three years before his emotions even began to catch up. And that's what I'm talking about. We do this out of an attitude of love for Jesus. Look at the second truth about forgiveness. Forgiveness is surrendering to God. That's that blank you want to put it fill in there. Forgiveness is surrendering to God the desire to hurt the person who hurt me. This is one of the earliest steps in forgiveness. God, thank you for the opportunity to learn to love as you loved. Lord, examine me. Make sure all my thoughts, attitudes, and behaviors going forward are in harmony with the character of Christ. Give me the grace to replace all that which is evil with that which is good, all that which is error with that which is your truth. And then, Lord, I know the first step is I have to surrender to you the desire to hurt this person for hurting me. Look at just several verses that drive this home. Uh Going to our main passage, Colossians 3.13, it says bearing with one another. That word bearing there can be translated to hold back. And in the context, I think that is the more accurate translation. In other words, we're to hold back with one another. Because what's the next phrase? That we're to forgive. So in the context is, I'm to hold back. I'm to restrain My desire, my tendency to get revenge, to strike back, to punch back, to hurt them for hurting me. i got to hold that back. Again, that thought of putting off, which is the context of this whole chapter. But not just put off, not just hold back, but then what? To put on and go forward in forgiveness as we're going to see in a moment. Look at uh, Romans 12. Uh, passage which we uh, already examined uh, earlier in this study never pay back evil for evil to what's the next word anyone never take your own revenge you might want to circle those two words never God doesn't give us any wiggle room here folks we have to see that there are no exceptions in other words Never, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never, never take your own revenge. First Peter 3, 9, not returning evil for evil or un- insult for insult. That's not the behavior and the attitude that a Christian wants to wear. We, we don't return evil for evil. We don't come back with an insult with someone who's insulted us. But we follow the example of our Lord. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. For you, you believer, you follower of Christ, you've been called for this purpose. What purpose? Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you what? What's it say? To what? To what? Follow. Follow what? In His steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Amen? So what gives me the power to forgive is my relationship with Christ as I entrust my life to him. Again, surrendering that desire to hurt the person for hurting me. Entrusting my life to God for safekeeping. Again, confident He won't let anything touch me that ultimately is going to harm me if I just trust Him. He'll eventually cause it to work for my greater good and His greater purposes in my life. And also notice, I I wish we had more time to talk about this. Notice, entrusting Himself to Him who judges what? righteously. There is a payday coming someday. There will be a day of reckoning where every wrong will be made right. But God says, that's not in your power to do that. It's not your... I'm not giving you the authority or the power to seek your own revenge. Leave that to me and leave it to me in my timing until then, you trust that I'm in control and you can trust me to cause even this to work for your good. Look at the third truth of what forgiveness is. And this is really the heart of biblical forgiveness. Forgiveness is erasing in my mind. And we'll talk about what that means. It doesn't mean you're not going to be able to recall it. it doesn't, you know, a lot of people get confused at this point that if, you know, if I really forgive I've totally forgotten. That's sort of nonsense. Uh, Forgiveness, though, is erasing in my mind the record of a wrong committed against me and writing, forgiven. Forgiveness is erasing in my mind the record of the wrong committed against me and writing instead, forgiven. Forgiven. Look at Colossians 3 13b. Forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Do you have a complaint against anybody? God says you're obligated to forgive them. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 5. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. The phrase translated take into account is one word in the Greek text, it's the word logizomai. It is a bookkeeping term. That's exactly what it is, an accountant's term. A bookkeeping term which refers to making a permanent entry into a ledger that can be consulted when collecting a debt. That's what the word is. A bookkeeping term, an accountant's term that refers to making a permanent entry into a ledger that can be consulted when collecting a debt, but notice, love does not take into account wrong suffered because love is about what Can- canceling debts, not collecting them. Look at Proverbs seventeen nine. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats, constantly brings the offense up. Repeats a matter separates even intimate friends, and then look at Hebrews ten. This uh, help us understand what forgiveness is. Hebrews 10, verses 17 and 18. He, God, then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Nor where there is forgiveness of these things, now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. In other words, when God says, I will not remember their sins anymore, God's omniscient. It doesn't mean that he can't recall your past life and the failures and the mistakes that you made. So when he says I will remember their sins no more, what he's saying is I'm not going to ever again throw their sins back into their face. I'm not going to allow their past failures to change my love towards them. I will love them with a love that will never fail them that will never run out on them, that will never give up on them, that will always continue to pursue them. But yes, a love that will not let them off, because I want to shape them into the very character of of Jesus Christ. So when God says, again, I'll remember your sins, Andy, no more, again, he can recall all my past failures, all my past sins, but he said, Andy, I'm not going to hold that between us any longer. Because Jesus has paid for that penalty. Jesus has canceled the debt. And therefore, I can know fellowship with you. I can know harmony and a relationship with you. Look at Ephesians 4. Now we bring it home to us. 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So again, we're back to this thought. Forgiveness is a process, and yes, it will be a battle. So when I say we erase the record of Of the wrong in our mind and right forgiveness. I'm saying as I walk along and I'm tempted to recall the wrong that was committed against me and to recall it in such a way to inflame emotions that are not appropriate, that I know is going to lead me to put up a wall instead of trying to build a bridge to this individual. See, at that point, I say, nah, forgiven. Yeah, I made a choice to forgive, and I, and, I, and I wrote that in the ledger, forgiven, debt canceled. So I can't go back now and try to collect that. That would be wrong of me, wrong of me before God. So forgiven. Look at the key truth. This next uh, paragraph right there in your notes I think is so vitally important. Bitterness is choosing to make an entry in your mind of the wrong done to you, which you read and reread, hoping for a chance to get even. In other words, a bitter person, I'm telling you, if you're struggling with bitterness, you you just continually go over the video in your mind. You can remember every single stinking detail that just... That you use to bolster, to justify your reasons to, to, to run away from this person or to attack this person or whatever it might be. So, bitterness is choosing to make an entry in your mind of the wrong done to you, which you read and reread, hoping for a chance to get even. Forgiveness is choosing not to take into account the wrong suffered by making a promise to God. That's the heart of forgiveness. It is a promise that I make to God. And what is the promise? Not to hold the wrong against my offender. God, I choose to forgive this person who wronged me. I surrender my desire to strike back, to try to hurt them for for hurting me. And Lord, I make a promise to you that going forward... I will not hold this wrong inflicted against me, against my offender. I will not prevent it from attempting, as at least as far as it is possible with me, to build a bridge instead of erecting a wall. Look at the rest of the statement. To forgive, and this gets it really where the rubber meets the road. To forgive is to give my word to God, a promise to God, never to bring up the offense again, either to myself in self-pity. In other words, again, we're going back now. You're going to be tempted. We have an adversary. We have a devil. He's not going to want you to forget. He's going to want to lay this on you. So we're not trying to say you're going to get to the place where you're, you're never going to have a struggle here. No, you could go for years, you may go the rest of your life struggling with this, but every time the struggle comes, every time those thoughts come, you make a choice because you gave a promise to God that I'm not going to dwell on it. I will turn my thoughts to the Word of God because, again, God is constructing you. You cannot think on two things at the same time. That's why God holds you accountable for your thought life. And again, it's not that the initial thought is sinful. It's what do you do with it when those inappropriate thoughts come. And as believers, we want to turn from that which is inappropriate and place it on God's truth. And that's how change and growth come. So to forgive is to give my word, make a promise to God never to bring up the offense again, either to myself in self-pity, to another person in gossip, or to the offending party in retaliation. That is the heart of forgiveness. It's a promise I make to God. God, I'm not going to throw this back up in the face of my offender. I'm not going to talk to other people about it behind their back. And I'm not going to even allow myself to dwell in self-pity. But I'm going to trust you. Look at the fourth truth about forgiveness. The fourth truth. Forgiveness... And this is the one, by the way, that is most neglected related to forgiveness. Forgiveness is looking at the wound inflicted on me as God's way of drawing my attention to the spiritual need of my offender. And calling me to heal the one who wounded me. Again, as far as it's possible with me. I can't dictate the other person's response. I mean, Jesus was perfect love. Jesus said, what, even on the cross, as he's suffering, Father, and he said it over and over again Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. But did all receive his forgiveness? Did all put their trust in him? No. He said, the road that leads to eternal life is what? Very narrow. And few find it. But the road that leads to eternal life, I mean to to eternal destruction, is broad. And many follow that road. So I, I don't know how my offender is going to respond. But the one thing I need to see, because I've been called to follow Jesus, to follow in His footsteps. God wants to use the wound inflicted on me to draw my attention to the spiritual need of the one who offended me. And God is calling me to be His tool to heal the one. Who has wounded me. Look at Colossians, uh, Colossians 3.13. Just as the Lord forgave you. So also should you. Look at 1 Peter 2 verse 24. And he himself Jesus bore our sins. In his body on the cross. That we might die to sin. And live to righteousness. For by what? His wounds we are healed. Now let's be honest. If God the Father. Allowed his beloved son. To to be wounded to the extent that he was wounded and hurt in order to bring salvation to mankind, should we think it a strange thing that God would allow his followers to be wounded? Why? Why would we think that way? It's obvious our thinking is not in harmony with the Scriptures. We're to follow Jesus. We're to be his light. We're to show his love. We're to extend his life to others. So even as our master was wounded in order to bring healing to those who offended him and praise God, you had even the example of what? The centurion at the foot of the cross said what? Truly, this was the Son of God. You had the thief on the cross who put his faith in him. Jesus said what? Today, this very day, you'll be with me in paradise and through his wounds, not only were those two individuals healed, but if you know Jesus today, you were healed through that, same, through that same wound. Look at First Peter 3, 9. Not, we talked about this earlier, but look at the rest of the verse. Not returning evil for evil or insult for unsold. That's what we hold back. That's what we restrain. But giving a blessing instead. For you were, look at this word again, called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. In other words, in the context when you get hurt, when somebody blows you away and you get wounded and you become devastated, he says, never return evil for evil. Don't bring or insult for insult, but I've called you to give a blessing instead. And as you give a blessing, as you obey me, I'm going to bless you beyond anything that you could ever believe in terms of your spiritual growth and your spiritual life. Look at Luke 6, verses 27 and 28. But I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Let me give you a beautiful illustration of this. This is a true story of a young man named Aaron. Aaron was a young seminary student who was at... Uh, Trinity uh, uh, Evangelical. uh, Evangelical. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Getting tongue-tied seminary. Uh, I got back real, real late last night, so I'm not all here yet. Uh, He he was a seminary student, and uh, he was uh, uh, completing one year, and he was looking for a summer job, and He attempted to find some ministry opportunity in a a church or some mission organization and just sort of came up empty. So he ended up driving a bus in Chicago for the summer to make money uh, to pay off his bills for the next year. But he was driving a bus in Southside, Chicago. Now if you know anything about Chicago, uh, Southside is the worst area there in the city. My daughter Carrie uh, was a missionary in the south side of Chicago uh, through uh, Campus Crusade, or what we call uh, crew now. And I'll never forget the first time Kathy and I visited her, and where she was living. She said, "Well, right across the street, that's a crack house." And uh, and then the day we were there, a huge riot had broken out in the high school that was just about a quarter of a mile from where she was at, and uh, and uh, they constantly were hearing gunfire. Uh, gunshots. Uh, Carrie said it was so funny. She said, you know, when she first got there, you know, she'd be out in the community and hear some of those gunshots, and she'd be doing this, and said the residents, they don't even flinch. Uh, they're, they're, they're so used to it. Well, this guy got this uh, bus driving job in Southside, uh, Chicago, and as he began driving, he had a small gang that began to come on the bus and give him a lot of trouble. They would never pay, And they would mess with the other people on the bus, and they would insult him. And after this went on for about a week, he got tired of it. And these guys had gotten on the bus, and he saw this policeman on a corner. He pulled his bus over, had the policeman come in, said, Hey, these guys have never paid, and they give problems. And and so the, the policeman confronted the guys. They paid to be able to stay on the bus. And then the terrible thing was, the policeman got off the bus. And they continued. Uh, We're around a couple of corners. And at one of the stops, uh, that small gang assaulted this young man. Uh, And uh, when he came to, he was knocked unconscious. When he came to, he was all bloodied. Both eyes were black and swollen. He had lost two teeth. And he was just a mess. Well... With the help of that policeman, who had confronted them, and because some of the uh, riders on the bus were willing to testify, that policeman was able to round up uh, most of those gang members, and uh, they were taken to court. And Aaron was there, uh, had to be there as a uh, as a witness. And uh, the entire gang, uh, they pleaded guilty to the uh, to the charges because they knew. There's no way they were going to get out of this with uh, the policeman being there, the bus driver, and other, other witnesses. And, uh, and, and you need to put this in the backdrop of how terribly Aaron struggled after this offense was committed to them. Uh, this is his quote we're, we're explaining how he struggled. How can this be? Where's God in all of this? I genuinely, genuinely want to serve Him. I, I prayed for ministry. I was willing to serve Him anywhere, do, doing anything. And this is the thanks I get? Well, they go into the courtroom. And there in the courtroom, God began to move on this young man's heart. In terms of his anger, his resentment, his bitterness towards these gang members. And as he saw them there pleading, he he just saw the tremendous need, spiritual need that existed there. And he asked permission of the judge to speak. And this is what he said. He says, Your Honor, I would like you to total up all the days of punishment against these men, all the time sentence against them, and I request that you allow me to go into, into jail in their place. It's because I forgive you, as he was looking to the gang members. Well, the judge didn't know whether to spit. You know, look at his... I mean, he was just mystified. The two lawyers were looking stunned. The gang members just, huh? You know, like, what did you just... What did you just say? And then the judge responded, Young man, you are out of order. This sort of thing has never been done before. To which the young man replied, Aaron replied, Oh yes it has, my honor. Yes it has. It happened over 19 centuries ago when a man from Galilee paid the penalty that all mankind deserved. Now of course, the judge did not let Aaron uh, Served the sentence for these men. They were put in jail, and they had to serve their sentences. But here's the thing: you know what happened? Aaron began to visit each one of them in jail to build a relationship with them, and he was able to lead most of them to faith in Christ. And then you know what happened? Aaron began a ministry in Southside Chicago to gang members, to reach them for Christ. Now, how about you? Are you willing to forgive the person who wronged you? Are you willing to surrender your desire to hurt that person for hurting you? Are you willing to erase in your mind the record of the wrong committed against you and write there? forgiven instead? Are you willing to look at the wound inflicted on you as God's way of drawing your attention to the spiritual need of your offender and calling you to heal the one who wounded you? Look at that last couple of blanks or last couple of sentences in your notes. To forgive or not to forgive. That's the choice you have, right? To forgive or not to forgive. Now, we don't have time. I would like to have taken you to this wonderful parable in Matthew 18. But let me just put it in simple terms going to the next blank. The key to my spiritual freedom is in the hand of... And you know what that... You know who you need to put in that blank right there? The person that you wrote at the very beginning of this message. That person who wronged you. That person who hurt you. That person who wounded you. You need to put the name of that same person here on this last blank. Because... That person is holding the key to your freedom. In other words, as you forgive that person, God will deliver. God will deliver you. He will set you free. To take you deeper depths into Christ's likeness. To learn to love as Christ loved. To learn to forgive as Christ forgave. To inherit, as we saw in 1 Peter chapter 3, a blessing. A blessing. So I pray that God will give you the grace to forgive and to walk in the likeness of Christ. Father, thank you for what I trust has been a very um, practical message today. Um, Lord, as I've often said to the people at Edgewood, nothing easier than sitting down and listening to a message. The challenge is getting up and obeying the message, applying the message walking it living it and lord especially in this message today because living in the world in which we live there's not a single person in this room that has not been wounded that has not been hurt that has not been offended that has not suffered wrong yet you call us to follow in the footsteps of jesus to forgive as he forgave and so lord empower us now give us the grace to walk in that forgiveness and very specifically in relationship to that person we each named at the very beginning of this message. And as we obey Lord, we trust that you'll not only empower us through that process of obedience, but then coming out the other end that you'll give us the promised blessing. In terms of taking us deeper with you and freeing our hearts to know what true joy is and true peace, as our hearts are freed from bitterness, resentment, anger, malice, all that is ugly. So do it for your namesake, honor, and your glory, for it's in Christ's name we do pray, amen. As the invitation is extended today, again, as I always ask you, I believe this time of invitation is the time for you to respond. I've always said, don't hide behind the hymn book or the song. They can do that. Take this as an opportunity. Are you you willing to forgive that person? Are you willing to make that commitment, that promise to God that I'm going to walk out here committed to applying this truth to that person that I named? I trust you'll do that. And as you do that, to ask God to give you the grace, to give you the empowerment, to put off the bitterness and to put on the forgiveness and to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. If you're here and you do have never known God's forgiveness. Great message for you to hear. Because you understand what forgiveness is. It's, it's God removing the record of your wrong. To restore you to a relationship with Him. And He does that for you. Totally undeserved. Unmerited by you. Nothing that you could do to earn that. Or win that. It's a gift of God's grace to you. And will you receive that gift today by faith, acknowledging that Jesus is your Savior, He is your Lord, that He did die to forgive you, and you're willing to take Him as your Savior, your Lord, to follow Him by His grace, to live the life He's calling you to live. And we would encourage you to open up your heart today and make your heart His home. And possibly you've been visiting here and God is leading you to unite with this church family. Be a part of this church family. We would love to have you. And it's our tradition at Edgewood, as an invitation is extended, you would come down the aisle, express that desire to me, mainly to get your face before our people so that we begin begin praying for you, love on you, express our appreciation to you, and then we'll take you through the full process uh, that leads to full membership here at uh, Edgewood. So please stand as the invitation is extended. And let's all be responding to the truth that God has spoken to our hearts today.